welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 31. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. We hope you guys had a happy St. Patrick's Day for those of you who were out celebrating it this weekend. Certainly a lot of fun. I love St. Patrick's Day because, well, number one, I'm very much Irish. The other thing is because I always just associate St. Patrick's Day with spring being right around the corner. Yeah, this is the first time in a long time it actually feels like spring is close. Yes. We've had... The last couple of years, St. Patrick's Day has not been really warm. No, I remember. Well, two years ago, we were in Florida, so that was great. Right. But um, I think one of the, in one of the recent years, it, it rained. It was I remember having a really, really cold St. Patrick's Day. I watched it. It snowed on St. Patrick's Day a couple of years ago here. Yeah. So we didn't have to worry about that this year, though. This year, the weather was actually really good. And uh, with St. Patrick's Day coming gone, it also means that the contest for the frozen autographed broadway playbill is also over and we're going to announce the winner of that prize by the end of the episode that was a good one we got a lot of interaction on that a lot of people were really interested in winning that playbill and the uh, plastic travel mug i'm really happy we were able to do that that was actually i have to give credit where it's due um We've talked about it on the show before. I'm a huge Broadway fan. I always go to the stage door. Uh, I always try to get some autographs and pictures. And this was Sean's idea to make sure we got a playbill signed for our listeners. Yes. So we're going to give that one away in just a little bit. But first, we have to get into our review of Dumbo from 1941. uh, Because we do have Dumbo opening up in uh, a couple of days here. In fact, I I think they're starting to do screenings this Thursday night coming up. I'm sweating. I am actually nervous to a point of sweating. Really? Yeah. You know, I've been saying it all along. Big Fish is so great. That's a, it's a really, really great Tim Burton movie. And, um, you know, for all the criticism that he's received in recent years for his films, I keep saying if he makes it like Big Fish, everything's going to be fine. It's going to be great. But after those... Alice reviews that we did. I'm like, I'm clamming up now. I will say that the best trailer that I've seen for it so far was a trailer we actually saw today. Before Captain Marvel. Right. We went and saw Captain Marvel today. Uh, For those of you who haven't checked it out, you can go over to the Instagram. We've uh, got a new segment for you called Monoreal in a Minute. Um, We do the little videos. Uh, We're one minute in and out. Quick review of a new release because... Really, we like to watch these things a few times. You know, I don't like to do a full review on something if I've only seen it once. Yeah, usually we're sitting here with our notebooks, you know, paying very, very close attention. Sometimes, most of the time, we'll do at least two viewings, sometimes three. Right. uh, Before we come on and record our shows. But, you know, being that that's how we prepare, we can't really hit on these new movies because we're only seeing them once in their theatrical run before they come out on DVD. And we love talking movies, but we realized, you know, we're kind of missing a big piece not being able to talk about these new releases, especially for something like this where we are doing the comparison to the original. Right. So if you go to the Instagram, our Captain Marvel review, our one minute review is up there. And of course, all of these films will get the full monoreal radio treatment. 
in the future. But yes. we wanted to at least give you guys something because a lot of people have been asking about doing reviews for new movies. And that's kind of what we think is going to make everybody happy. But I think at this point, I want to get right into Dumbo here. Um, this is not a movie that I watched an awful lot as a kid. It was one of the few Disney films I didn't have on VHS. Um, so going back and watching it this week was the first time I'd watched it in a long time. Yeah, I remember watching it a lot as a kid. Um I honestly don't remember if we had it or not. This might have been one of the ones that my grandparents had that I watched at their house. Uh, because I do remember it being in heavy rotation as a kid, but I haven't seen it in ages. Right. And uh, for those who haven't seen it, now would be a good time to uh, pause us, watch Dumbo, and then come back because spoilers are coming. Uh, the movie... Uh, begins with a stork delivering babies to the circus um, and Mrs. Jumbo, the big elephant, does not get a baby, but she is expecting one. So after a few days on the road, uh, she gets her baby Jumbo delivered by the stork. The other elephants ridicule him because of his ears and call him Jumbo, uh, call him Dumbo instead of Jumbo and they cast him out. Um, while they're on tour, um, He's put on show to a group of teenagers who begin to torment him and tease him. Mrs. Jumbo comes to Dumbo's defense, um, but all that the ringmaster saw was her attacking these kids, so he quarantines her and calls her a quote-unquote mad elephant. Without his mother, Dumbo continues to be a cast-out until Timothy Mouse befriends him and subliminally convinces the ringmaster to make Dumbo the star of the circus. After a disaster of a debut for Dumbo, he is recast as a clown. One night after performing, Dumbo and Timothy inadvertently get drunk after drinking champagne uh, that had been uh, spilled into a bucket of water that they were drinking. And the next morning, they wake up in a tree where they meet a pack of crows. They're all convinced that Dumbo flew into the tree and encourage him to fly again, which he does. During his next performance at the circus, Dumbo flies, becomes an international sensation, and is awarded with a private train car for him and his mother to travel in, and they are then reunited. This is, without question, the quickest plot <laughs> I've ever had to do. because, And I had to go and check this a few times to make sure that we just didn't have... One of these very, you know, sometimes you get a copy of a movie and it's trimmed down. This movie is an hour and four minutes long. That's its full runtime. And on the surface, there's a lot of heart to this movie. But on the surface, there's not an awful lot going on here. And and I that kind of surprised me because I hadn't seen it in so long. Right. What's interesting, I mean, I think the time is actually pretty perfect because it doesn't feel like it drags at all, especially because your two main characters, being Dumbo and Mrs. Jumbo, don't have any speaking lines. Dumbo says nothing and Mrs. Jumbo only names him and then that's it. Right. And then she sings one song and that's kind of it for her. I don't even know that she's actually singing. I mean, it's supposed to be her when she's doing when uh baby of mine is playing but i think it's it's almost like a soundtrack could be i don't know that you actually see her sing it right yeah and it, it is something that is kind of sung to all of the children of the circus exactly mm, interesting um but yeah and then timothy mouse he speaks you know he's got some lines in fact he's the most vocal character in this movie but otherwise i mean you get in and you get out quick 
And what surprises me most about this is, and maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but I feel that Dumbo, the character, is a bit more significant than Dumbo, the film. I say that because I think... You know Dumbo's the flying elephant. Everybody knows that that's what he is. Right. I don't think you get more than a minute of flying time, maybe a minute and a half of this in, in this entire film, and it's all at the very end. It's all within the last three minutes of the movie. That was something that completely caught me by surprise on this viewing. I forgot how little you actually see him fly, especially because, you know, following seeing this movie when you're a kid, you go to the park, you go on the ride. Now there's two of them. Uh, Dueling Dumbo. Dueling Dumbo, yes, exactly. Um, and that's that's really your big takeaway, but... I, yeah, I didn't realize how little you actually see him take flight in this film. And I think that's why so many people have built him up. And it's not to say that I dislike the movie. I'll give my full wrap-up of it later. But I feel like that's why he's built up to be what he is and why he's such a legendary character for his flying because you fly him in the park. He flew in the wonderful world of Disney, uh, the introduction to that. He flies in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And And, Dumbo Circus. Well, that's what I was getting to as well, was then they launched, for those of you who don't remember, in the late 80s, uh, there was a television show called Dumbo Circus that ran on the Disney Channel, and I think it ran for three years, and I used to watch it every day. All the time. It was, I think it was in the morning. Yes. I want to say, like, I would, well, Eureka's Castle was Nickelodeon, but I would, like jump back and forth between the two. Jim Cummings, who's the voice of Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, I don't remember if it was his first, but it was definitely one of his first Disney roles, was doing voices on Dumbo Circus. Really? Yes. I I think he's significant for all of these other things that he's recognized in. I think this film has a little bit of that Alice in Wonderland phenomena that we were talking about on that episode when we reviewed it, uh, where the story itself, I mean, this is definitely a better story than Alice in Wonderland because there's a clear cut beginning, middle and end. Yes. But it's a very simple story. Yes. And I think this is one of those things where the takeaway is more about the character than the film itself. The overall message. Yes. And I'm also wondering now if that's because the what leads him to fly is that he inadvertently gets drunk. And I'm wondering if that's kind of why the rest of the film is downplayed now. I don't know. Maybe. Because technically he's a child getting, I mean, granted, all right, he's an elephant. And that little bottle of champagne that falls into the water that he consumes, it's not going to do that much damage when you're talking about a whole elephant. Right. Um, maybe. But I think people don't, they don't shy away from any of the scenes in Pinocchio when they're smoking cigars and they're misbehaving. That's true. Speaking of Pinocchio, it was nice to see Lampwick find work again in this film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he looks just like him. The one, the teenager that tortures him, yeah. uh, poor Dumbo. Uh, he looks just like Lampwick. And I love how he's like, oh, look at your ears. Look at your ears. It's like, look at you. Look at you. Yeah, look at your ears. You look ridiculous. <laughs> 
Um, you know, it was uh, th- this this film. You feel awful for Dumbo, but also for his mother because the the elephants in this film, Ugh. they're so mean. They're insufferable. I I go so far as to say I hate them. Oh yeah, I cannot stand them. I don't think anyone is supposed to like them, but they are just truly insufferable. They're try they they I guess they're they were supposed to be like from the south. That's something you know that it kind of reminded me of, like a, a southern belle. And granted, the circus is in Florida, but you know they're trying to be. Well, they're not trying to be polite, but they use all these terms of endearment, like "dearie," and you know they'll they'll call each other these names when they're talking to each other. Except for Mrs. Jumbo, they don't really include her in any of that, and they are just so over the top with the gossip. It's unbelievable. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they were trying to pull off this like uh, upper class Southern belle, almost mean girl mentality because they're not just mean to Mrs. Jumbo. They're mean to each other. Like you can tell like they're not even like they're friends for us, you know, for social purposes. They're frenemies. Exactly right. Like when they're doing the the pyramid scene, you know, just outright like, are we gaining a little weight, dearie? Just because you say dear. It's like when you when you push past someone and say, excuse me, like, excuse me, supposed to come first. And then typically the person moves and then you can go. But now it's it's kind of become like one fluid motion of excuse me and push. But they torture her. Like, they make fun of her when she doesn't get her baby right away. Like, they're just, there's nothing redeeming about them. You know what's really interesting is when the stork finally does bring Dumbo, when he says, who's expecting? And they're all like, oh, no, not me. Where, you know, they get prudish about it. Like, I'm not pregnant. Right. Yeah, you caught that too, right? Absolutely. Interestingly enough, too, um... We don't know where Mr. Jumbo is. We don't see Mr. Jumbo. We don't find out where Mr. Jumbo is. We know there's a Mrs. Jumbo because that's what the ringmaster calls her. Right. But in fact, I don't think you see other than Dumbo, I don't think you see any male elephants in this movie. No, because the opening, you know, they do such a great job of of building you up before they crush you with baby of mine. You know? Yeah. Um, but I think that the whole open where the stork is, is dropping everyone, look out for Mr. Stork is the song. Right. Um, I thought it was just kind of an interesting social commentary because some of the lyrics are like, uh, the stork will come, you know, if you're rich or you're poor or, you know, so regardless of like class and, uh, status, you know, the stork will come and get you. And I, I thought it was just kind of an interesting, um, commentary you know to say that anyone can get pregnant but then interestingly enough you have mrs jumbo waiting for her baby that doesn't come yeah it's a heartwarming scene that ge- that you get gut punched on right at the very end yeah the um, typical fashion of this entire film yeah but i thought it, for that scene in particular i thought the animation was impressive i thought um i thought it was convincing i thought it had very nice detail to it um, the music, you know, in that song in particular, we'll, we'll, you know, discuss the music in totality in, in just a few minutes here, but the music, it was like, it was very much Disney. It was that, cla- that classic Disney feel. 
And obviously, this being Disney's fourth animated feature, it was 1941. It was right as they were entering that golden age of Disney animation. Um, that would make a lot of sense. But I think that for a film that's otherwise very short, the music is some is a, is a spot where they really did take the time to give it a lot of detail because we'll discuss in a few minutes why some of the other portions of the film didn't receive the detail, didn't receive the running time as some of its predecessors. Yeah, I think they did use the music to kind of stretch out the time a little bit because mm -hmm. those music sequences did make... Th that. That's where the film feels a little bit longer to me. Yeah. Um, when the stork arrives, the only thing I can think is, it's Winnie the stork. <laughs> because as it turns out, that was, in fact, a very young Sterling Holloway. Yeah, you caught that right away. His voice is so unique, but he never changed it. Like, he was a voice actor, but did he act? I don't think he acted. I think he just read his scripts. Didn't read them well, but the stork, Ka, Winnie the Pooh, they're all the same guy. But you know what's funny? They're all such different characters, completely different, all of them. Right, but he but he reads them almost the entire... He, they're almost the same way, though, in terms of how he reads them. You know what, though? I feel like... Normally, that would bother me that, you know, an actor's not being versatile like that. But when you have a voice that's so unique, you know, it's it's like Brad Garrett. Why change it up? You right. know, that's kind of what you're known for. And when you have a voice that is like that perfect for a character, I don't think you really need to do anything. Yes. Um, what I don't understand about... The, their, first off, it's startling how quick they are to turn on Dumbo when he is delivered. Because when they first see him, he's so cute, he's beautiful, he's this, he's totally that. Until they see, him. yeah, they're fussing over him until they see his ears. It's it's almost disturbing how quickly they turn on him and his mother. Yeah, and they cast him out so quickly, and for what reason? Other than the fact that he has big ears. They're embarrassed by the way that he looks, but I don't understand why. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that for all intents and purposes, he's a fatherless child, and that didn't make you shun him or his mother. Right. But the ears are what bothers you. Right. Um, I looked into Mr. Jumbo. I, I did do a little research did to you? find okay. out, like, where is he in all of this? Um, he never existed in the film. Right. They only named her Mrs. Jumbo as a dedication to one of the top elephants at the Ringling Circus. Interesting. And the Ringling Circus had their winter home in Sarasota, Florida, which is right. why this film is based in Florida. And we were down in Sarasota... Very recently. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Everything down there is very much Ringling driven. Oh, absolutely. There's the museum. Uh, there's the college. Uh, they got Big Top Brewery down there, which we're huge fans of. Um, it's nice, especially now, though, that the circus has sort of been uh, edged out, that there's still so much of its history down there. Yes, um, I think there's, I want to say it's a Wells Fargo that has this really nice, um, it, it's like a tile, not a sculpture, 
but it's it's almost like a diorama outside of the building. I think that may have been the Ringling headquarters at one point. I know the building you're they talking just, about. They just they own yeah. their history. That's the that's that's the point. Yeah. Um and it's uh it's nice to see that it's it's still alive down there. And nice to see that it's it's kind of always going to be alive in this movie. Yes. Um so I did want to throw that out there. Speaking of, did you happen to catch that this circus is called uh, the WDP Circus? I did. For Walt Disney Pictures. Yes. Um, parts of this film have not aged terribly well. For example, they use a word that is now determined to be derogatory towards little people. You know, they throw that in there. I don't want to say it because I would hate to upset anybody. Um, but the other thing is that, and what's sort of been interesting is the way that the crows have been viewed in this film, mm. that's kind of, that's kind of like fluctuated over the years. Um, there was a time where people thought that they were incredibly offensive because they drove home a stereotype, namely about African-Americans. But in more recent history, um, people have seemed to have forgiven that um that interpretation because if if i remember this correctly i think you had researched this these were for the most part uh african-american actors that had been giving the roles of these crows in a time where african-american actors typically weren't being cast yes um i mean i definitely see where uh where this would be considered offensive because um, I don't think it's in recent cuts of the film, but I think at one point the leader of the pack, so to speak, was named Jim, as in Jim Crow. And I believe that they removed that from later versions of the film because they realized how that is in very much poor taste. but I think where the film was criticized, you know, they were able to defend it because in a time where there weren't necessarily a lot of roles for African-American actors, uh, they did, they were actually cast in this film. So it, it's actually viewed as progressive more than anything else. Yeah, and I think it was, it was. It was Whoopi Goldberg that when she became a Disney legend... In 2017, she was the one that made a big push and said, like, she wants to see the crows made into merchandise and sold in the parks because they sing maybe the most significant song in the film. And it's it's a driving force to push Dumbo to become what he later becomes and having that positive influence on him. Right, and it's, it's really unfortunate because I think the characters are so controversial. And even now watching it this time around, I was kind of sitting there cringing a little bit because I was like, I can see where this would be considered very offensive, but that does overshadow, you know, and we will talk about this a little bit when we get into the songs later, but you know, it's, they've got great harmony in that song. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is that they're, other than Timothy Mouse, the only ones who are championing Dumbo and they're they're rooting for him and they're they're also very smart because they realize that 
Dumbo can fly and he's just got to believe in himself and they're the ones who give him the feather. That's such a crucial point to the film that I think gets overlooked. Right. The movie doesn't exist without that entire scene, without their encouragement, really. Exactly. Um, it's It was not overtly offensive for its time, but I think, yeah, the parts of it haven't aged properly. They haven't aged well. Right. And I think... You know, if they do keep the crows in the remake, I mean, I'm I'm sure that they're going to handle it much, much differently. Yeah. But it also seems, just based on the trailers, what they're doing now is that it's kind of a given that Dumbo can fly. I don't know that this remake is going to necessarily uh, be about the, the points that lead him up to that. It doesn't seem right. like that from the trailer. No, it doesn't. Um, but we'll know in a couple of days. Um, so I think, uh, you want to move on to the music here since we've, we mean, we've touched upon it so much up to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you had the opening song, which again, I, I apologize. I can't remember the name of the, st- look the, out for Mr. Stork, look out for Mr. Stork. Um, similar to you, I do like the lyrics of that song because as you pointed out before, it could happen to anybody, you know, and I, that's not meant to sound in a negative way, but anybody is capable of having a child and raising a family. And I think that that's a really tasteful way to start this film off because the whole the whole feeling of this movie is that anybody can do anything yeah. and that people shouldn't be outcast and people shouldn't be bullied. And to start the film on that note and contrast it with she doesn't get him right away and she is you know picked on for it for a lack of better term i thought started the perfect narrative and immediately gave you drama yeah absolutely um you know and the the whole scene the way it plays out i mean it really does build up to that sucker punch moment of when he's taken away from her because right. you know you see all these cute and cuddly babies with their mothers and um i mean they they really do go for that tearjerker moment yes um and then i believe the next song cuz there's not a lot of them uh the next song um is Casey Jr. when they're loading up the train and they're about to leave the Sarasota area to their next stop on the, you know, it was back in the day, it was a traveling circus. Right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the animation too, because specifically with this scene was the first, uh, the first place that I noticed it. Um, when they're loading up the train, this is one of very few scenes in the film uh, that has people in it because for the most part, they do use the animals to pack everything up, specifically the elephants in particular. Yeah. Um, but the scene starts on a really, really wide shot and you don't see a lot of detail in anything, specifically the humans' faces. Um, and that happens again at another point during the film. But what I was very surprised at was that even though it's a wide shot, they really, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't as detailed 
as their other work, but it was almost kind of sloppy. And I'm wondering if that was because this is one of those instances where the film gets cleaned up. And now that you're seeing it on better technology, on a DVD or Blu-ray player, on a high definition television, you know, the same thing happened. The Wizard of Oz is my favorite movie. Yes, my favorite movie is not actually a Disney movie. But I went to go see it for one of its anniversaries on the big screen. And I have to say, it was actually incredibly disappointing because it was never made to be seen on a screen like that. And I'm looking at it and the background looks so sloppy and you could just see like where it was painted and everything. And it just, it didn't pull me in the way it normally does. And it lost a lot of its magic seeing it that way because it just wasn't meant for the technology. And I'm, I think this film kind of does fall victim to that a little bit. Right. And I think the other thing was that this was also coming in a time where the studio was sort of in dire straits financially. Yeah. This film was one of Disney's, I think at up until that point, it was the lowest budget they ever had. I think it was like $813,000. Um, and it's funny because it ended up grossing over $2 million in the box office, which was more than, I think, Pinocchio and Fantasia, I want to say. Right. Um, but that's why this had to be done so low budget is because they just didn't have the money to put into it. Well, I think Fantasia especially was that was an expensive endeavor for them that they didn't see, at least not then, not for many, many years did they actually see the financial benefit from. I think they, that cost that studio a lot of money. Right. Especially because if I remember correctly in the research that I've done many years ago, I think that was a film that didn't get a wide release because only certain theaters with a special sound system could show it. Because I believe it was the first film with eight channels of sound. Right. So you had to have the uh, the means to play it. Right. And... When, when you do that and you don't have a wide release, you're really narrowing your revenue stream. So this film sort of fell victim to that budget cut, which is also part of the reason why it stayed at 64 minutes long. Walt Disney also said that it was the perfect amount of time, but I think, I think money played a factor into that as well. Definitely, because the other scene um that i'm thinking of too is i i believe it's in the next song where they're setting up the circus um the happy-hearted rustabouts this is another scene where we see humans but again they don't have faces and i'm wondering if it was like an artistic choice to do that because this film is supposed to be focused on the animals or if it was due to the budget cuts right Casey Jr. was the song that led us into this conversation because it's the first time you see the animation like that. But again, the song Casey Jr., I don't view that as being iconic so much anymore because of this film, so much as it is that you hear it played in the parks. Mm. You hear it played at Disney World, and the train is Casey Jr.'s train. Right. Um, but the uh, the Rustabout song, um, and that scene as well, as you pointed out, you don't have any dimension or any faces on these human characters. You only really see it on the ringmaster. He's the only one. But in that scene in particular, you see where the animals 
are helping them put up the tent and and move settings and and whatever it is that they need to to drop in place um but that song the lyrics of that song these guys are basically saying well we don't really save a lot of our money and we don't really we're not all that smart but this is our job and this is just how we do it yeah it's you know that's kind of just how it was and even if you look up if you if you go into the dictionary and look up the phrase rust about it says that it was used for deckhands it was used for circus employees but the other definition of it is that it's just unskilled labor yeah you know it's really just your grunt work no and it's definitely not a term that's meant you know like like a low life Right, it's not derogatory. No, not at all. It's it's just, you know, people who work with their hands, which, you know, you need in the workforce. Um, right. But I think this is one of those instances where it definitely falls victim to its time. Yeah, that's not a phrase that you hear anymore. No. When was the last time you heard the phrase that someone called a rust about? I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> and honestly, like, I'm glad you looked it up because there was a point where I was like, oh, is that another derogatory term? <laughs> I, no. I wasn't sure how we were going to dance around this one. Um, Interesting about that song, though. How much does it remind you of Beware of Frozen Heart? Yeah. Especially because, you know, Frozen opens with the ice picks and everything. And in this case, they're actually, uh, they're driving the stakes into the ground to set up the tent. So there's just a lot of that, like, swinging motion. And yeah, it's, it's. Definitely, it frozen mirrors the scene. Yeah, and emphasis on certain words as they're striking their hammers into their stakes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was... Yeah, I can see the connection there without question. Um, I believe the next song after that is one of the two songs that are the most iconic, and it's a Baby of Mine, which is another scene where it's heartwarming and heart-wrenching at the exact same time. Ugh. That tore me up as a kid. You know, the the setup to this is that Timothy has taken Dumbo to see his mother who's quarantined and she basically picks him up with her trunk and she's sort of rocking him to sleep to comfort him while she sings this song Baby of Mine. Um but it's only her trunk that she can access him with she's you know sticking it out of her cage right because she's she's chained down inside of this it's it's a it's like a circus car Mm -hmm. that she's chained into and as you pointed out that's that's the only piece of his mother that he could access and the contrast there is while she's singing this song, we assume that it's her, or you said it could have just been a soundtrack, not her specifically, was you have all of these other animals in the circus that are physically with their their children. Yeah, they're like lying down to sleep at night. And the best she can do is stick her trunk out of the cage and rock him to sleep. Mm. So a, a stark contrast for what is a nice song with wonderful lyrics and it's still significant because in the first trailer that we got for the Burton remake of Dumbo the song that they chose to use you know with no vocals of course it was just an instrumental was Baby of Mine yeah I think um what was it just a piano in the first trailer and like you get those first couple of notes and I was like oof 
But you know what? Like, go for it, Burton. Make me cry. Make me feel as sad as I do watching the scene. I think Make me feel anything after <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. I think he'll accomplish that goal because when you see Dumbo in the clown makeup for the first time in that trailer, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and then when I see an elephant fly. Oh, you're forgetting one. Am I? Pink Which, elephants. Oh, that's right. Pink elephants. Yes. Heffalumps and woozles. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So pink elephants. The song itself sounds similar, but it's more in the animation than anything else. It totally reminds me of Heffalumps and Woozles from uh, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, that sequence kind of creeped me out as a kid. So I kind of forgot why it happened. I totally forgot that it was kind of like a drunken stupor. And that's where all the pink elephants. I mean, like I know the term like. You know, sometimes when somebody's had a few, it's like, oh, I see the pink elephants. And yep. I like that that's become kind of like ingrained in pop culture. Um, but yeah, that that sequence just kind of creeped me out a little bit. Like I was I remember as a kid, I was like oddly fascinated with it. But I completely forgot now, having not seen it in so many years, why the scene actually exists. Um, and not only does it remind me of Heffalumps and Woozles, but when they first start marching, uh, you get a little bit of the uh, the um, card march in Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. and uh, definitely Sorcerer, Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah, I um, I don't really have an opinion of this one way or the other because, to be honest with you, until I watched this film again this week, I forgot that this song even existed. Really? Mm-hmm. I I'm telling you, I hadn't seen this film in at least 25 years and if i had watched it three times in my life up to that point it's a lot i think uh burton's gonna do something with it and you know hopefully that'll be something like cool and trippy uh but they just released a bunch of posters today actually and it's different artwork and uh one of them did feature um the pink elephants i think they were kind of like uh either cloud shapes or balloons but there is one of the posters that has them on it interesting all right um can we get to uh when i see an elephant fly absolutely <laughs> okay um the second to, in my opinion the second most significant um song in the film which i know some people will debate because we talked about it before it's the the film does not exist without this song because this is a song that encourages dumbo to go out and fly but i i think baby of mine between the two is the more iconic song i think so i think it's the one that as i said to you i did not watch this a lot at all i haven't watched it in a very long time but when i think about this movie what i think about is baby of mine it's just the one that i've heard more in my life it's not the earworm that i see an elephant fly is but um it's definitely the one that sticks with you, and I think that's probably because as a child it traumatizes you that you're going to be taken away from your mother. Yeah. that That's something that definitely crossed my mind when I was a kid. Like, it wasn't just that it was a sad scene and you feel bad for Dumbo, but it, it kind of rocked me a little bit. Mm. Uh, let us know on social media what you think between the two songs, which one is more significant or more iconic. Is it Baby of Mine or When I See an Elephant Fly? You can let us know on... Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Monoreal Radio. Um, dissecting some of the characters here, Dumbo has no speaking lines. He's obviously 
the title character, but oh, he's so darn cute. But that's what I'm. That's what I was getting to. That's where I'm impressed with the animation because they emote so much with his eyes, yeah. specifically, that he's able to almost have an entire conversation with you and let you know exactly what he's going through without speaking a word. He reminds me of a puppy a little bit, like just in some of the movements and some of the looks, maybe specifically my puppy because he has giant ears. If you've seen our social media, you know what I'm talking about. He's two years old and he he still has not grown into him and I hope he never does. He's not going to at this point. He's fully grown. If he hasn't grown into them yet, it's not going to happen. We should have named him Dumbo instead of Walt. Yeah. Um... The ringmaster, you know, the ringmaster in this film, I can't, I can't really blame him for what it's worth. I think he made the right decision by quarantining Mrs. Jumbo. He didn't see what led up to that scuffle with those teenagers. That All, she was provoked, really. Yeah, he didn't see that. All he saw was that she was attacking teenagers. No, and that's one of those things... Uh, where the beginning of the film really sets this up because not only is she being a protective mother, but she wanted a baby so bad. Of course she's going to do anything to protect him. Um, but I I like how they balanced it because, you know, obviously the ringmaster, he has to train these animals. He has to know how to handle them. But he does say, calm down, Mrs. Jumbo. Right. He doesn't immediately lock her up and throw away the key. He's actually trying to, I mean not really pacify her because he's yelling at her and he's got the whip out, but like he's actually trying to get her under control. He's not the villain. No. And no. and that's what I like because it's easy to say we're going to turn him into the villain because he's going to, all he wants to do is make money and be famous and travel and become rich. So it's easy to make him the villain and he puts these animals in a position where he's, going to do harm to them or not have their best interest in mind for the sake of making money. But that doesn't happen here. I don't think it's going to happen in the in the remake either. I think Danny DeVito's character is going to kind of carry himself the same way. I think it's the Michael Keaton character. Yeah. Which, by the way, amazing that we grew up where Michael Keaton was the hero. And in, in recent history, he is now the villain. Yeah. He was the villain in Spider-Man. Yep. And now he's going to be the villain in the Dumbo movie. Yeah, I think so. He's got kind of a uh, conniving look about him. And even in The Founder, the McDonald's movie. Yeah. He was... He was... He told that line. He told the line. He was kind of a villain, but he was the main character because he'd do anything to anybody to make money. He was amazing in that movie, though. If you haven't seen it, definitely go check it out. It's, yeah. he's Michael Keaton is amazing in that role. Yeah. Michael Keaton, I'm just happy to see him back because mm. he disappeared for a long time. Yeah. You know, the late 90s and early 2000s, you just kind of thought maybe we're done with Michael Keaton, but he's come back and he's come back strong between the founder and Birdman and Spider-Man and now this. I'm happy to see him. Oh, and he was, he was the villain in RoboCop. In the RoboCop remake? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's kind of reinvented himself here from from the good guy and from being Batman to now being the bad guy. But I like it. It fits him. Yeah. So I'm anyway. excited to see what he does in this in this film coming up. Back to Stromboli. Yeah. 
that was yeah. really the only other thing that I wanted to mention about the ringmaster. He's given off some serious Stromboli vibes for the very little screen time that he has. Um, that plays back into the animation too. I noticed before we did the research on how low budget this film actually was. Um, I thought it was odd. They used that tent silhouette sight gag, which they do a lot in live action movies. I think most notably we've seen it in Austin Powers. I want to say I think they did it in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back as well. Uh, you know, where the images inside the tent get projected on the tent and it looks like they're doing something that they're not. Um, so they do that here. And I think this was another way that they cut the cost of animation because there's the scene where, uh, I almost called him Strumpoli this time, uh, where the ringmaster is like pitching his big idea for this, you know, show stopping son. And he's in the tent, but you don't see any faces. You see it from the outside. And I just thought that that was interesting. And, Again, I'm really not sure if it was a stylistic choice to not really show human faces and focus on the animals uh, or if, if it had to do with the budget because really the only other humans in this movie are the clowns and you see them in their makeup, but you don't really see them like as people out of outside of their costumes. Right. Um, we discussed the other elephants. We discussed the crows, but we didn't discuss Timothy Mouse. And Timothy Mouse, to me, other than the title character himself, is probably the most important character in this film. Without Be a doubt, the heart and soul. Because he's, first off, he's the one with the most speaking lines for one singular character. Right. But when Dumbo is cast out by everyone else, he's the one that steps up and goes, why are they making fun of him? There's nothing wrong with his ears. You know, he's like he's that kid on the playground that doesn't care what anybody else says. He's going to go be nice to the kid that everybody else is picking on. And that's really the heart of this movie mm. is it's the anti-bullying. It's what you still see being fought today. You know, 80 years after this movie came out, it still is a problem, especially worse off now than it ever has been because of the you know, the, the advancement in social media. Absolutely. So I think that if there's anything that can be learned from this movie, it's be more like Timothy Mouse. That's a really good way of looking at it because what I never realized, um, I mean, obviously he befriends Dumbo and he helps him, but what I never realized is how much the story parallels Chicago in that Dumbo's the outcast and Timothy Mouse is like, I'm going to make you famous so that they love you. And that's kind of how Chicago goes is, you know, they turn these murderers into celebrities so that they don't end up in jail. And, you know, at the time Dumbo's mother is locked up. This was really the only way to save him was by, you know, making him valued in the eyes of the circus. Yeah, I'd never thought about it that way, how it contrasts uh, Chicago. What's interesting, too, I love how they chose a mouse because elephants are supposed to be afraid of mice. Um, so I kind of like that they had that they teamed up. Um, and oddly, too, Timothy reminds me of Jiminy Cricket as a character. Yes. Which is really funny because the voice of Jiminy Cricket is the crow. Right, the lead crow. Um, 
Well, I guess in totality, you ask the question, does the film hold up? I think Dumbo... Now, this film has... It it has been put into, what is it, the National Archive for Preservation? I believe so. Right? So... They they've deemed it to be culturally historically significant. It certainly is. It's an important film in the Disney universe. Um, it was also one of Walt's favorites. Yeah, and I feel that as time has gone on, I think Dumbo the character has become more significant than Dumbo the film. And I think that. Parts of this film feel dated, and I just don't... It's not that the film isn't good. It's a, it's a great film, and I enjoy it, but I can't say from front to back that the film holds up anymore. I would definitely have to agree with that. I mean, from the animation standpoint alone you can totally tell where they cut corners with this one, especially when you compare the elephants in particular to something like Jungle Book. You know, granted it was 20, 25 years before Jungle Book came out, but the detail is just not there. Right. You know, and as we mentioned with with the faces and in some of those wider shots, they really didn't zero in and they weren't careful the way they were about other animations. So from that alone... It definitely doesn't hold up. Um, I think that there are, you know, we talked about that there's some controverse, controversial characters. Um, and and the language, too, is very much of its time. Um, so in that regard, it definitely doesn't hold up. Um, I think the music does. Um, but I... I you know, I had said it before. I think this is one of those things like Alice in Wonderland where uh, the individual parts are better than the whole. Yes. And I think those are the parts that we take away and those are the parts that we like and remember. Um, so with that being said, you know, some of these films, they don't necessarily need to be remade. I think some of them we're exhausting but i think this one was definitely worth a shot to improve on some of the weaker points of the original now granted we said the same thing about alice in wonderland and that is why i'm sweating this one out right um i don't think we're gonna have colonel hathy's wife in this remake no. <laughs> unfortunately uh funny that I, I actually i think that actress the last film she made was as Colonel Hathi's wife in The Jungle Book, and one of her first films was as one of these elephants here in Dumbo. So very full circle for her. Disney uh, loved her as a pachyderm. I don't know that any of these characters are going to have speaking lines. I, I feel like they've taken Colin Farrell and the, his children in the film, and they're using them more as the speaking characters than having it be between the animals. Which is fine. And I'd rather it be that way because we are talking about a live action remake. So this should be human centric. Right. As opposed to the Jungle Book. And as we're going to see, I'm sure, with The Lion King, where, okay, yes, there's supposed to be live action remakes. Jungle Book, you did have a boy in it, but the animals 
we're talking. Mm-hmm. Lion King is going to be the same thing, but to our knowledge, there's no humans in there. Right. So you can't really call it live action. So I hope that in doing that, yeah, we should be focusing on the people. Yeah. News this week, huge, earth-shattering news. Hallelujah. James Gunn is back. I didn't think it was going to be possible. I'm not going to question it. But I'm ecstatic. James Gunn is back for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. He's still going to make the Suicide Squad film for DC, so he is still double-dipping between DC and Marvel. But James Gunn is back. The cast has spoken. I'm thrilled. Don't get me wrong. I think that people do need to be held accountable for their actions. However, when it's something that happened so long ago, it's not something you said recently. It's not something that you said that affects your current work or offends anybody that you are working with in the present. I just feel bad that he did have to take the fall for this one. I'm glad the cast stood behind him and I'm glad that he's back because this would have destroyed the whole franchise because they were staunch on not coming back if he wasn't the director. Dave Batista was not coming back. I know. So it's, it's exciting news though. And like I said, I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to walk away happy from it. Yep. The moment you've all been waiting for it's contest time. We're pulling the winner for our uh, prize pack from Frozen on Broadway. Our biggest prize to date. Yes, this is for a plastic travel mug and an autographed playbill. We took all of the entries uh, and we put them in a spreadsheet. And I'm going to go ahead and pull a random number. We've assigned random numbers to every entry. And uh, just as a reminder, for every like, you got an entry. If you subscribed, you got entries. If you shared it, you got entries. And so so on and so forth. So some people had 10 entries. Some had five. Let's see. Okay. But over 100 people were in on this one, actually. So this, oh, wow. this was a lot to enter here, but that's, that's a good thing. Okay, let's see. We got number 30. Number 30. I'm scrolling down here. And the winner of the Frozen on Broadway prize pack is Imported from Wonderland. Congratulations. Congratulations. We will be in touch with you shortly to get your shipping information, and we're going to get that sent out to you uh, later on this week. But... Uh, probably our biggest prize pack up to this point, right? Definitely. Right. I'm well, glad we got it too, because I think most of the people who signed were original cast as well, and some yep. of them were. Le- I know that some of them were leaving the week that we saw it. Yes. So congratulations. We're going to get that sent out to you. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget, uh, we have our fabulous partners over at amazon.com www.monorealradio.wixsite.com slash home you get the links to the amazon instant video for every film that we review here on monoreal radio and definitely utilize that for dumbo if you want to see it because i feel like this is one that's kind of hard to find yes absolutely um and as always if you are looking to book a trip to the parks this year, uh, I would highly recommend getting in touch with me now because now that they've announced Star Wars, uh, it's booking up fast. 
I can only assume that prizes are going to escalate towards the end of the year. So definitely get in touch with me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.